Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. My point is, the last time that I interviewed you, I hadn't really interviewed anybody. Yeah. I had always been the one being interviewed. So I didn't understand how to talk to people and how to pull out the juicy details because I was used to being on the receiving end. And so now my favorite thing you asked me about protocols is literally just hit the big red button that says record and then we just figure it out before we, we crash and die. I think that's the only way to do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, at, I'm at 420 episodes, which I need to get you on. And uh, I preparation doesn't really enter my vocabulary. We hit record and we have crazy conversations. That's exactly what I like because it's like an adventure. You don't want to plan it out before you before you jump out of the plane. No, no, not no. here. Let's start with your NFT project though. And uh, some things have changed since the last time we talked about it. What are you doing in that space? Why are you doing it? Let's hit those two things real fast. I know it's still early and I keep telling everybody that one way or another, understand crypto and understand nfts and we have time but it's but because it's early but like don't waste that time because i believe that nfts are going to become the norm in the next couple years more so for the utility not for like the board apes and stuff like that so what has happened since then is watching how smart contracts are which is what an nft is attached to right it's what you know binds it in the in the blockchain and then also it's um, what can dictate future utility of that NFT. And, um, you know, so for any of your audience listening, you know, you can make an NFT, have automations built into it that says, hey, not only do you own this, but um, you get 15% off anything else that I drop in the next three years. You get 10% off this. You can come to our events. You could this, 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 and that, right? That's a smart contract. So smart contracts have been getting better uh, because a lot of these other platforms uh, that people launch their NFTs on, they ended up, launched them as shared contracts and they weren't getting recorded on the blockchain really well. And so a lot of artists got screwed (laughs) basically. And you can imagine other people owning their work and being like, what do you mean it's a shared contract? Like, what do you mean I don't own this? So, um, yeah, so I basically, I dove into my own personal project and I, um, I started working with illustrators and, and artists around the world. We were combining both my writing and their artwork and um, I wanted to tie also some of it to some merchandise, but there really wasn't any way to um, connect what happens when you buy an NFT and then you immediately want to size them for the actual physical good. Everybody's still trying to figure that out. I met a team out of New York and they're like, yeah, we can build that into the smart contract and make you know next steps for that. They said, well, how do you want to launch NFTs? And I said, I actually want to launch NFTs as a community. And I ended up entering into a couple different communities that had, you know, cards, if you will, to belong, memberships to belong. 
And when you approach an NFT project that way and a tight-knit community, whether some of these are 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people, without the hype, what happens is you're getting the people who want the work or the value or whatever you're offering the most um, consistently. So they have access to any NFT that you launch five, 10 days a week in advance before it ever hits the market, the public market. And I like that concept because that means that the community owns the brand. And what's also cool about that is that you give the best deal to your community. They can turn around and sell it. They can hold it as an asset. They can hold it as you continue to grow in value, or they can sell it on the secondary market for whatever money they want. And I like that concept that there's two ways that they're, they're getting value out of it. Um, and they're dictating the market. And so that's been a lot of work. It's been about three or four months worth of work working with teams in Vegas, New York, Phoenix, <laughs> you know, overseas. So that's what's that's that's the short, short version of it, believe it or not. How long have you been working on this? About three months, four months. Is it something that you're really enjoying or do you have I that? Love it. <laughs> I love okay. It. Great. I absolutely love it. You know, it, it's and you know, because of all the businesses you have, it's like you never want to you never want to do something without the details, you know, being thought through, yeah. but you don't want to like yeah. sit around and just like wait around either. Like you want to like hit the market. You want to just run, 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 run. But at the same time, everybody else is in the NFT marketplace and crypto space. And you're also learning at what's not working with a lot of other projects and a lot of other businesses. So you're like, I don't want that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. How big is it going to be once NFTs take over digital streaming? Limitless. I mean, I think you're you're talking like fifty hundred billion plus. Yeah. Like, dude, do do the do the record companies go out of business? Oh yeah. Uh, well, no. <laughs> <Okay>. they, <laughs> I think I think that they they have to rethink their business model, um, but they've had to do that for a long time. But the fact of the matter is, is yeah. like, oh, and I I think we I think we might have talked about this, but you know, since it didn't get released, I mean, I I was interviewing an artist on the uh, podcast. And, um, you know, we were talking, she's like, oh, I only have like 60,000, you know, followers, you know, verified artists, big, big in R&B and country and all this stuff. And we were talking, I said, she was talking about streams with Spotify. And what a lot of people don't realize is like, Spotify is web too. What Spotify says is it says, hey, thank you so much for um, putting your music up on our platform. You have millions and millions and millions of streams. Here's your paycheck. Here's your little, little paycheck. A tiny fraction. Yeah. Right. Oh, and by the way, we're so grateful for your millions and millions of streams and that artist millions and millions of streams and that artist billions of streams and so forth that we also sell, you know, uh, advertising space. But don't worry, we're going to get you your little bit of money. So that's Web 2. Artists in Web 3 with NFTs, you know, I posed to her and I said, is it possible you have 5,000 people who would buy your work? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right. So is it possible that you create an NFT that houses the links to every track, all the artwork? Um, lyrics, 15% off merchandise the next three years till 2025, 10% off all your shows for the next three years, and uh, free meet and greets. And she's like, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I'm like, you could put that up, charge about 250 an NFT. She's like, 250 I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, people pay way more for a lot less. And she's like, really? I was like, 250 5,000 people buy it. It's $1.25 million. And she was like, oh. And I was like, so who do you, I was like, so who do you pay out of that? She's like, uh, myself. I'm like yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, when you think of it, that, um, yeah. 
you know, I think it'll be either up to the artist to take into account that they can do it themselves, as they've always been told, try to do it yourself, or, you know, they're going to have to join a record label that maybe they're doing a lot of the legwork, but they're still giving the majority to the artist. Yeah, I, I feel like this is such a fun conversation because me and you have a similar, I guess you could call it a philosophy in that, you know, like we're both into marketing, both have done real estate stuff. And then when you get into something like Web3 or crypto or NFTs, it's just like at the exact same split second, everything in the world becomes boring. Yes, it's so true. Because it's so, so old, true. you yeah. know? And like, I, I think we talked about this in the last episode. There's the two types of geniuses that I've, dis- that I've discovered over the last, like studying people's lives and you know who they were and what they did. The first type of genius is like, the the inventor, you know, they actually invent the thing itself, like mm-hmm. Einstein or Tesla or like, yeah. you know, the Solana guys who had like created that that blockchain. They're like inventing. And then the second type of inventor doesn't necessarily create it, but they're the use case genius. Yes. They yes. go in and they figure out, man, Elon didn't invent alternating current, but he is an engineer. And so he was able to take what was already built with Tesla. And then the use case shot it out across five different industries at the same time. He's the second type of inventor. I feel like you have this thing where it's like you can go into different areas and like use case here, use case there, your use case genius, and you can create and invent too. But you have the unique way of seeing the world and how this area could peg into this area and then you create synergy in the middle. Is that accurate? Yeah. I, I love that. Uh, as soon as you were saying Genius A is the inventor, I'm like, and Genius B is the user, is how they figure out how to use all the different use cases and you know the feedback loops that are given to whatever was invented. Because you're like, oh, I could use it for this. And like, you can see all the different applications for it, which is great for the inventor because the inventor's like, I hadn't thought about that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Or some, or yep. sometimes they do. Sometimes they do, and you put it also so well put about. Since this new world emerged, it's so exciting because it takes so many different things and merges them all together. Yeah. And the possibilities just seem so limitless. And it's like, whenever we ever seen before art and commerce and fashion and marketing and finance and tech merge together, you know, to all like be playing at the same time, like they're all components of each other. And that's what I see with like Web3 and and blockchain and crypto and NFTs, right? Yeah, 100%. Dude, let's pivot for a second. But before we do, did you see that um, Alpha Romeo, did you see what they're doing with their NFTs? No, I didn't. So they are unveiling an electric hybrid SUV with NFT technology. Huh. So the the NFT will record the vehicle data, generate a certificate that can be used to ensure that the car's been properly maintenanced. Yeah. And the owner will be able to sell that NFT with the purchase of the car. We talk about use case, like, man, this is going to hit every industry. It's going to replace so many middlemen and just people better get on board before they get cut out. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the application for real estate is ridiculous. I mean, um, crazy, uh, unbelievably, like imagine that's your new title and escrow and maintenance and insurance and all of the things, right? 
uh, mm-hmm. rental rates if you ever had it rented out, like all of this stuff that you're handing over that NFT to. And, and, and then like, you know, other people are also recognizing where there's companies that say, hey, like we want to do this development project or we have these utility rights. Can I have, you know, my people all buy the NFT and have, you know, partial ownership rights to the NFT? And I'm like, that's the general premise of it. Yeah. And then now you've got like DAOs. You know, are you familiar with what's happening with the DAOs? I think so, but you should just bring me up to speed on it just in case. So DAO, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. And what essentially people are even making LLC DAOs, DAO LLCs. And essentially what they can do is with smart contract technology built in, they give the community voting rights or the holders of the NFTs within that organization, if you will, let's just think of it as an entity, voting rights, and, you know, a lot of other capabilities, staking, you could also essentially have where as crypto comes in, you can actually have different wallets receive different amounts of money. So like, the primary holder, you know, or creator gets X dollars, charitable fund gets, you know, Y dollars, and the community fund gets Z dollars, which are staked, and then like earned and then redistributed back to you know, it's holders <laughs> over time. Now, they're still figuring out all of the, uh, you know, setup of that, but that's how the smart contracts can essentially do. Um, but yeah, you, of course, you, you know, you're now playing in new territory where it shifts the dynamics of how ownership control over a company is done and like distribution of funds and all this other stuff. So it'll be interesting to watch how they continue to develop. It makes, it makes me wonder what, what's going to be the stance of the Securities Exchange Commission exactly. on like... How, can you buy a piece of this company v- via the token and bypass accreditation law? Can you bypass, like, what's the regulatory response, do you think? Have you peered into that? No, you know, and I think that that's, I'm curious myself because there was a massive move from tokenization to NFTs. At least that's what we're seeing. Because in tokenization, that's where it was, it was already kind of, the SEC, from what I understood, was already involved and and you know no this is this is a security but with nfts people buying certificates (laughs) of authenticity belonging to in this case they were like art and other communities but people saw the utility and the use case in like oh couldn't i just issue that to like my holders so i i'm curious about what's going to happen when it when they look at it from that standpoint yeah all right, let's talk about um, let's talk about Meta, Meta of Facebook. I've seen like so many interesting takes on this, and I'm like really dying to know your take on it. Every once in a while, you see great founders make the decision to move into a new market, take the temporary hit, and advance into the new territory. In your opinion, is this what Zuckerberg is doing, or has he lost his mind? Uh, it could be both. <laughs> you know, I mean, he could be. There's, I've seen some interesting theories out there as well. I'd love to get your take. For anybody listening, when I hear or think of metaverse, we basically there's two parties online on Web three right now. There's like the purest, the sovereign seekers. You know, your Michael Saylors and your Winklevoss twins and your Anthony Pompliano, Pomp Global, right? Like you got all these guys that are like, no, like free from the system, all this other stuff. And then you've got the commercialization, right? And the monopolies coming to be like, oh, another money grab. And you're like, 
if you think that that's how blockchain and Web3 are going to work and you're only going for the short-term gain, like, so it's a, it's a battle for like Middle Earth, basically, right? And then when Metaverse came around, like a lot of people who were already, the idea of Metaverse was, hey, what we're doing with like a Zoom or a call, we can just simply jump into a private space online in the blockchain, completely private and secure. And with our avatars, we can maybe get together whiteboard session, you know, kind of talk. We can download those files and say, hey, we came up with some really great stuff today. Talk soon. And we're in different locations. But then you get something like Meta that comes in and says, hey, friends, like, come on into this virtual world where you can just, you know, escape everything. And it looks a little cartoony. And it just it seemed really it seemed really off. And it seemed like, hey, I get it. You're just trying to get in. But like you're not a company that makes money off of nothing. You make money off of ads. So then the real thing is, is are you just putting people into a digital world where all yes. it is, is governed completely That's by it. ads. They need more ad space. They need more ad space. And I think that the the model is 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 suffering a little bit in what they're doing currently. And then some people say that, I don't know what to think, but it wasn't going to be a true metaverse play. It's more about bringing it into the real world, contacts, goggles, things like that. So as you walk around, you can actually see what people are wearing or like their brands or like their anything. And then, then you could actually add more advertising into that. So no matter what, it, to me, it seems like an advertising play and not like a true metaverse, like, hey, I want access to certain people from around the world in a private, secure manner anytime. And we can all connect that way. It just seems way different. So uh, what's your take on it? Well, dude, I think Zuck is a, I think he's, I don't, nobody likes him. Nobody, nobody likes Zuckerberg. He's just an animal, but he's at his core. Like he's been a very effective, he's an animal, but he's been a very effective animal. And I don't see him losing his mind. I see him trying to uh, wind a dying model down and get into a different model and it's interesting because like what you just said about bringing the metaverse into the real world, like have you seen Solana pay? They just started dropping. No. So like, I love Solana. I know that people are like, Oh, it's centralized. I'm like, yo, but it's fine. Like I, we can't go full stop hundred percent decentralized. That's basically like, I want your shirt. So I kill you. And there's no repercussions. That's full decentralization where it's like, there's no governance there's no regulation. I think that we have to have some sort of governing body somewhere. They just can't be the government. But anyways, I'm getting off track. Solana yeah. Pay is, uh, you know, lightning fast, and they're trying to get into the merchant accounts or the merchant space. And yeah. their vision, if you will, like that they just posted about, is like imagine you go into a shoe store, you like a pair of shoes, and uh, you tap your phone to the thing, and it sends your Solana, and instantly you receive the NFT pair of the shoes that you can put on in the metaverse and the real life physical pair. And that NFT pair of shoes is available for you to use in any of your games, any of your online profiles. And so I can see where there's like, okay, Zuck wants to put goggles up on everybody. Then all of the different NFT memorabilia is instantly accessible in that world. It's just going to be really interesting to see like, dude, I don't want to go into the metaverse and just see a bunch of extra Facebook space like to put ads right. on. Okay, now we can put ads on humans. Like we just have an ad on the back of somebody walking around. It's going to get ridiculous if all he's doing is trying to free up more ad space. And I could see that being what he's trying to do. 
No, I like what you're saying about Solana. I mean, I hedge quite a bit of my, you know, I have a lot of Ethereum, but then I have a lot of Solana and I continue to dollar cost average at Solana. <laughs> like I was concerned that they had the, the reset twice, of course, but, um, you know, solid, it is solid technology. And I love all the innovation that they constantly do. And you brought up a really great point about commerce is heading that way. And that's kind of why I was playing a little bit on the merchant side, the third, the merchandise side, the third part of the NFT um, is because all of it being created in an NFT format that can also be, you know, tracked on the blockchain um, and tagged up and all that other stuff. Now you can actually um, have a use case for, you know, how the whole thing was even created, if you want. Like, so there's even merchant platform, merchandise platforms that are saying like, hey, we'll actually track the entire process of making the actual physical good as well, too. And you can actually have all that data built in, plus the one in the digital world for when you're in the metaverse and things like that. So we're we're heading there. It's the, it's a matter of everybody trying to <laughs> figure out. Everything's very manual right now. Um, so yeah. it's like it, you, that's that's also the hard part. Until I, I met this team in New York, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we could do that." And I was like, "Oh, I love this. Let's do this." You know, they're you know because they're smart contract writers, and they're like, "I don't know." There's there's they're like, unfortunately, not everybody's using the utility that can they can do right now. But it's about how do you make a, a user experience where the moment I purchase, what happens next in a series of events if there's also a physical good attached to it, right? Yeah, definitely. So what, what brought this up is I just saw while we were talking, Wall Street Journal posted that Peter Thiel stepping down from the board of Meta. So he says he's doing that because he wants to focus more on like his political work. But it's like, well, kind of a coincidence at the same time, you know? And so it's just curious you know, how much turnover they're going to have as they try to escape to the rebrand. Right. Like, what do you think ultimately is Facebook's, like, is there going to be an ending, you know, of them? Is there a, you know, because I mean, there's only so many companies that have like legacy status where they last longer than like, you know, three or four decades, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think they betrayed their ethos. Yeah. I really do. I think I they betrayed too. the people that made, imagine like, you know, any any company is successful based on the merit of the product market integration, right? Like, yep, Tesla took off because they have the best vehicles in the world. If you don't agree with that, you're stupid. I don't care. Like, and they take care of their people. They take care of their people. They constantly are. You know, they've got a mission that they're driving towards. And it's like when you look at fundamentally Facebook's mission is like to connect everyone together, but that's not really what they're doing. They're monetizing the connection. And I, I think that Zuckerberg is probably always, uh, I think he's wrestled with that for several years. I don't know Zuckerberg obviously, but I can just sometimes put the pieces together and what he says and it's why he wants Oculus and he wants the meta. And he's like, I can see him trying to escape that business model. He's probably, um, same with me and you probably in like the I am space, right? Like we're very good at it. But at the end of the day, like we don't want to be stuck with only one way to monetize or serve people. And Facebook's done a horrible job over the last several years to maintain market dominance from merit. And then secondarily to take care of the people that have made them successful. I don't think that there's an ending, but I I do think that there's going to be a mass shuffling, especially when you look at like their old model, TikTok's going to take over and they just haven't taken care of their people. So I think it could be brought pretty, pretty low. Like I don't think the stock's recovering anytime soon. I thought that was actually really well put. That was really well said. I think you need to like take that little snippet <laughs> and be like, <laughs> oh, you know, um, 
I'll know, send it to Zuck. I'll send it to Zuckerberg's email. We'll see what he's. I'm says. sure. I'm sure he'll uh, he'll appreciate that for sure. You know, yeah. But um, I think any any model that doesn't take uh, its people into practice and into consideration for everything, and and it's such an interesting. I, I feel like he was growing up and playing, even though as a millennial, but in an old business model, somebody wins, somebody loses, and Web three is just not meant to be developed for that it's uh, it, that's why they call it the scale uh, the scaling of value the internet of value it's a whole other like behemoth you 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 yeah. literally like it's no longer about oh i'm an influencer on instagram with uh two million followers like yeah but are you giving away value like it, it's now the people who have created communities within their organizations their entities their art their whatever they go on and now have market dominance because and they have staying power um, and cause they're trusted, the value of what they do goes up based on trust and merit. <laughs> so yep. like, if you don't have that, yeah, that's, that's what I was saying about, you have the battle between, for middle earth between two sides. You got like these pure sovereign seeker community organized like type, you know, and then you've got like the commercialized people. I'm like, that's great. Adidas, you're going to come in, you're going to do a, a, a drop. You made 23 mil. Cool. What's next? What's next yeah. for that community that bought them? Exactly. What's next? What's next? You, you, are you ready to serve? You ready to serve like day in and day out to a community? Nah, man. You take your chips and run. So that's what most of them are doing. Right. Bro, speaking of like stock price staying low, you know what's not coming back down anytime soon? It's freaking car prices. So, (laughs) dude, I was reading on Market Movers, we get like, are you are you subscribed to Market Movers? No, let me uh, let me make sure I do that after this call. I'll, I'll, I'll get you in there. It's just basically yeah. a condensed version of like 400 pages of articles, podcasts, different things. So like every day oh, I'll read through that beautiful. to see what's going on. But Bloomberg was talking about how automakers are funding the development of their EVs with increased prices on old combustion engine vehicles. And you mix that. So this is why Tesla's so gangster. Like nobody saw what Elon was doing. Elon's the modern day, probably moral version of John D. Rockefeller. He owns energy, he owns storage, and he's about to own distribution. Nobody's owned those three things since Rockefeller. He had the oil, the railroads, and then all of the shops that sold the oil. It's crazy. And I just don't think like if you look at Ford's stock price, like they're really improving because they're going into the electric vehicle market. But the only company who's able to really reduce costs on electric vehicles is Tesla because they have their own R&D and they don't have to develop the supercharger network. It's like nine billion dollars of distribution inside of the supercharger network. But it's interesting to me how people are waiting for like pre-pandemic levels of goods and services without realizing two things are happening. One supply chain is broken and two we just created freaking six trillion dollars prices are never coming down ever ever so the value of the dollar comes down the cost of the vehicle goes up demand is up supply is down demand is up and let's also add extra money on top of that to fund what we should have already positioned ourselves for long before but instead of innovating we decided to just like hey we'll we'll put it on the customers <laughs> customer funded r&d yeah yeah customer like funded a, r&d we should start a show together called things big companies do that don't make sense 
And, Please come uh, bro, you know another bro. Listen to this. Peloton laid off twenty eight hundred employees, and part of their severance was buying them a Peloton subscription. Wow. Jeez. Imagine getting laid off, and then every day you have a bike in your living room that reminds you that you got laid off. It's like, right. what are you thinking, guys? Like, uh, and I recent, I think yesterday or the day before, did you see the presentation that they made to push the CEO out? No. Yeah. So they have a new um, John Foley has resigned. The new CEO Barry McCarthy has stepped into the role. He has experience at Spotify and Netflix, which by the way, we need to talk about Spotify. Yes, sir. Uh, but yeah, Peloton Peloton just freaking shit the bed on that. Spotify. Are they doing the right thing by no. their handling of Joe Rogan? Talk to me about it. No, not at all. So, you know, <laughs> I don't even, where's, where's the entry point on this one? Um, you know, well, Joe Rogan's a racist. Obviously, that's the entry point. You know, he's you know? Uh, Joe. Like, I I love everything about the way Joe delivers his podcast. He he's independent. He's not of a political party. He's not of one side or another for when it comes for information. And his show is constantly about let's have every kind of perspective on here to dissect what's going on and be more of of unifying people. Well. Really, what is the the bigger issue? The bigger issue is that he has upwards of eleven to twelve million downloads per episode, and that beats the closest you know outlet by about five to six million views, right, uh, per episode yeah. or downloads. So this is this is more about the fact that somebody who is consistently growing from you know being authentic, from being independent from, you know, uh, for so many years kind of being ignored because it didn't want to play the normal media route. He did it his own way outside of the box, you know, and if you go to his wall with, it was interesting when he did the apology, if you go to the wall, you see his following all backgrounds, all backgrounds. You're all good. This was out of context. Stop apologizing. But, but, you know, even some were like, I, I appreciate why you were apologizing. Like, you know, you just, just didn't like using this or whatever and all this other stuff. But very consistent. If you look at the people who had a problem, you know, that was very interesting because their walls had a very different approach. You had some other loyalists be like, yeah, thank you so much. And you had other people say, I have a question for you. What makes what because you disagree with what he's saying misinformation? Why? So if you don't agree with what he says, automatically that's misinformation. So that means that you have to be right. And a couple of people uh, called out their own, you know, some of these artists and and uh, authors and and whatnot. You know, I'm not really using names right at the moment. So it was interesting to go to their walls and see. And then like you know, you see the the Neil Young, and this probably didn't look up, but somebody who did a TikTok showed they're like, well, you know, he, he sold over half of his catalog to hypnosis, right? H I P J N G N O S I S, right? Hypnosis. Who owns hypnosis? Blackstone. So, (laughs) so I guess hypnosis and Blackstone made a push to go after a lot of artist catalogs, you know, and publishing rights. So, just out of curiosity, if if that is in fact true, and I, I believe it, like they showed, like they they used like on a TikTok video, they hey go here, you can look this up. Here's where it's like you know all that stuff. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, why would a person 
who doesn't really own much of their stuff anymore feel like they would have a say in whether or not a platform plays their music, right? So I was like, what's this really about? You know, what is this really, really about? And then, you know, the other thing too is, you know, when you had a couple other people who had an issue as well too, it was like, so you're going to remove your stuff because you don't like, you know, that his stuff is what more popular? Like, what is it really? And if you're already a platform, you should say, hey, you know what? Like, if you were really leading from the integrity of the books that you put out, right? Talk about merit. You would say, you know what? That's not my speed. I have a different opinion, but you know what? That's his opinion over there and, and his group. I'm going to keep leading with, you know, my stuff. And now you're actually leading with the very things that you're putting in your books. You're actually integrating it versus like living, I think, more out of fear and saying something like, hey, I don't like that. You know, I, I want to know what the policy is for, for misinformation. You know, and this particular individual even came out and said, I wasn't necessarily targeting him. I was just saying that what's the policy for misinformation? You like, you can't backtrack that. Like, and by the way, what's misinformation? If it's something that you don't agree with, does that become misinformation? Like we have to stop throwing these words around. So I, I think that they made a wrong move. And I think that the people who cried wolf might also end up getting dinged from that move. So even if they were to come back onto the platform or even keep using it, he's got such a diehard community of people who are like, yo, you're good. You're all good. And I think it, it could end up hurting Spotify. I mean, he was already offered, what, like $100 million from another platform, right? <laughs> so, Rumble. Yeah, they were yeah, like, hey, we'll, we'll come over here. We'll give you $100 million, which is exactly what, you know, like, this is the thing that I love about controlled capitalism is like, yo, everything will eventually work itself out because when people are motivated, not by greed, but by, um, how do I say this? It's almost like what happened with Bitcoin uh, when when the CCP shut off all of the Bitcoin mining. You know, all it really did was hurt the CCP. Like it just kicked all of the mining out of the the country. To me, that's like a little bit like capitalism, or it's like when a product is good, you can't really shut it down because people will get it from wherever they want to get it from. It ends up hurting the level above, which is trying to control or or domineer something. And so, what you're saying is exactly correct. Like. At the end of the day, people are going to get Rogan wherever they want to get Rogan. Rogan yeah. will show up there. And it 100% has caused a little bit of a ripple or a little bit of a backlash because people are sick and tired of this, like, making shit up and being fake outraged by things. It's like, I think humans as a whole are getting tired of that. They are. Really tired of that. It's like, whatever, yo. Like, take care of your own self. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and the other thing, too, is that, like, Rogan proved the model that I've been kind of preaching for years, uh, although he did go with Spotify. So that took a little bit of the independence away. But the model I, I've been saying for years, and it's Gary Vee and other people say, it's like, you can own your own distribution if you're willing to do the long game of growing your your online presence. Like, you can, or your podcast, or your anything. Like, and Web3 really allows for that, because the difference between Web3 and Web2 is if Apple at any point says, hey, we're taking down your podcast, in Web3, they're like, keep going. Like, you own it. So, we're only, I think, at the beginning of seeing the rise of independent ownership and distribution of whatever it is that you create. It's nice to kind of see because we're, you know, I've been preaching it for so many years. And it's like, but when you get in bed with an entity, depending on how those contracts are set up, if there's any kind of creative control, I mean, imagine, imagine being told like, hey, 70 of your episodes are coming down. 70 of your episodes. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I don't know which ones they were, but like, I'm, I'm wondering if it's the two of the newer ones. 
Yeah, probably. Hey, let me ask you a question. Uh, yeah. Shifting gears. Tell me about uh, Permissionless. Yeah. Well, so Permissionless was the brand that I'm launching NFTs under, and I wanted to have more conversations about Web3 and blockchain and crypto. So it was a couple of different things. One, um, obviously, that word is being heavily used in blockchain, you know, permissionless payments, permissionless publishing, you know, you hear Naval talk about it, you hear Mark Cuban talk about it, you hear Vitalik Buterin talk about it. And so I was like, you know, I love the name. I also love the idea of what it stands for. Like we, there's no longer really a need for gatekeepers. I never really thought that there were. So we're, we're free to move about the cabin, right? And uh, I liked it as a name so much that I went to my lawyer and I was like, hey, I'd like to trademark this for several different categories, <laughs> you know, like just for the nice. future of it. Yeah. Especially as they continue to, uh, you know, use the, that word. Basically, it's how I looked at it. And so I wanted to launch NFTs under that platform. And so first, it'll be you know, like I was, meant, I was saying earlier, it'll be like a, a membership platform um, with NFT cards. And then um, it'll actually be NFT uh, collabs across different communities, um, but also like featuring a lot of different um artists and uh, multidisciplinaries across different industries. Um, so anything that they end up launching um, can also be launched through the, the community as well, too. So it's like the world's creatives and, uh, you know, innovators, right, all coming coming through there and, and a marketplace, basically. Yeah. Do you see yourself ever, like, developing out, like, a publishing type of company? Not, yeah, I know we just talked about DAOs and, like, record labels and things like that, but... To be able to go in and and maybe sponsor different types of artists, creators, producers, you think Permissionless could turn into something similar to that or no? Yeah, I do. Is that what you're thinking already? I had been pondering it and like you just confirmed it. So it was interesting because I had been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, and then about a year ago, just I was having an interesting conversation with uh, somebody in more of a spiritual context who brought up, you know, like something about you and publishing. And I was like, yeah. And so I'd been thinking about this very heavily. Uh, There's a little part of a longer conversation, but I won't go on that tear because that gets a little woo-woo. But, you know, I'd been thinking about that very heavily lately in the last, like, four months, five months. And then now, like you saying that, and it's cool that it's actually really cool that you you picked up on that. Only I think maybe a couple people kind of see it, you know. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> but I got you. Uh, part of the thing that makes, I think, people like you and like me tick is we could go out and build whatever we wanted. And I've had several people even ask me about like the Levels brand. And you know, I haven't talked much about like my history, you know, in, in terms of like the real estate, the marketing, the empire, the blah, blah, blah. But we get motivated and fulfilled not just by winning, but helping other people win. Yeah. I think one of, the yeah. gr- one of the best ways to do that is like freaking sponsor them and publish them. A hundred percent. And like giving the infrastructure to um, have them thrive. That was why I even yeah. with permission, I was like, you all own the brands. Like I literally was like, okay, like let's just say, um, wh- what's his name? Eric Emanuel, right? So this dude crushes online. Um, he puts up like some clothing, it's gone. Like forget it, in like three minutes, it's sold out. And it, when you think about a loyal following and you can say, hey, listen, like here's another artist here that within the community that's launching. You guys, like you all have access to it, have access to it like, before we ever even hit the market, go for it. Giving them the power to like own the brand of like all of the, you know, a- and bring all these artists to the forefront or whatever, right? And it's like cool because it gives the community power, but then it gives the secondary market power too to be like, hey, look, like your stuff is also really good. You know, resell it if you want to resell it or hang on to it. But I like the idea of 
you know, I, I was, I'm part of a, another community called Futures Factory. If you get a chance on Discord, check them out. Futures Factory. Futures Factory. Okay. Futures Factory. Really smart how they did it. They're very different. They're based out of um, Paris and Spain. And um, they did it very differently. You know, and I was talking with the head of marketing. And she was like, we didn't want the hype. We wanted the community. So they're world sneaker designers. Uh, I mean, like some of these guys are like the designers in sneakers, but they're also digital artists too. And so where they'll do exclusive drops to the community, you have to have a card to have access. Otherwise, like before it ever goes public, right? And I was like, of course. So if you have a card, you can get access to all, all like the sneakers right away. And some of them are only digital. Some will be digital plus a physical sneaker. And commerce is a whole different way now, like in that kind of aspect, right? But they're so community-driven. I think they have a few thousand, maybe like four or 5,000 in the community. I'd have to look up the, the numbers, what they're up to now. But, you know, she was telling me the other day, she was like, we didn't want the hype of like, if we use an influencer like NFT or NFT Now or like any of these others, because like we need the diehards like that, you know, make up the brand from the very get-go, not the hype that can drown a brand out and like cause hysteria when really you just want the people who really want it, right? And it allows us as a platform to keep delivering all of these designers and artists out into the world, you know, to be consumed, right? Both digitally and physically. And I was like, I love it. You know, I was like, that's yeah. exactly what I do. How do you manage your time and bandwidth with all of the projects you have going on? Because you're a little, you're a little, overloaded you got all this stuff going how do you keep it sane and organized smart people <laughs> i've got some <laughs> smart people around me you know i stay pretty regimented in terms of like how i run my day so like on different businesses and stuff like that there's other people there's a lot of other people smarter people where i'm more of like the quality assurance person you know where i come in and like look at it how's it all set up or you know, making sure like you know the infrastructure is set up right from a business standpoint things like that but the creativity, like I have to free up time to be creative. So it's like whether I have somebody in, ahead of my operations or leading up like anything like the design team and other things, I'll tell you what's taken up a lot of time more recently is definitely like this NFT stuff because I love it. And it's like one minute I'm dealing with my architectural designer, you know, who loves designing for the metaverse. The next minute I'm dealing with the artist. The next minute I'm dealing with the smart contract team. Like, so that's where Sometimes it can feel overloaded, but I got to tell you, it's like what you said at the top of the hour. It's so invigorating. It's like nothing like I've ever really experienced before where I feel like I get to push. They're like the boundaries are gone. Like you get to just kind of push new limits. But honestly, uh, strict sleeping schedule, nutrition, working out four to, eight, four to five days a week, hikes. Like, um, I, like I get at least seven to eight hours of sleep. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm in bed like by nine, up by five. Or in bed by eight thirty, up by five thirty, something like that. Like I'm, I'm on it, you know. And um, time chunking. I'm also like, I'm really been into listening to deep work, <laughs> like Cal Newport's deep work. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's interesting, right? Like how to like keep all these tabs now closed, email off, and be in one task for one time at one time for like two hours straight, and be left alone and putting on like you know all kinds of. Uh, alerts and other things, right? So it's, I, I found that if we can, you know, Naval talks very heavily about that, like you've got to equate how much is your time really worth, put a number on it, any task that you can delegate that comes underneath that number, <laughs> you know, delegate it to somebody else uh, while still being on top of, you know, the thing. Yeah. And master your time so well that you end up having things work for you, right? So I don't know, I don't actually feel like I'm in a rush, 
but you know, putting things in place that also work for me and that are constantly like yeah. building all the wealth, right? Let me tell you my favorite one-liner that I've that I've seen from you from social yeah. news newsletters, etc. Popularity is saturated. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh my yeah. god, dude. Like <laughs> some people have the ability to sum up complexities in these simple like uh, my friend Jack Butcher can do this with pictures. Yeah, I visualize value. Yes. There's like, bro, he's a genius. It's like, yeah. okay, you just took a drawing and communicated something that can never be communicated with words. And then you can do the right. same thing sometimes with phrases. Popularity is saturated and it's not where the money or the luck is made. This is from an article. The rate of return is always smallest when you follow the crowd. Did you have to learn that the hard way or did you get lucky and avoid it through studying somebody else's mistakes? Uh, a little bit of everything. I, well, first of all, I never wanted to do anything like anybody else. I come from a, a family of entrepreneurs, so they never did anything like everybody else. They all kind of made their own way and figured it out, you know, whatever worked for them. And then I just, I noticed that there's early adopters and then there's like the popular crowd. They're always like last to the game, but like abuse yeah. the hell out of like the platforms and the technology and like everything else. You know, it's like when you, yeah. you know, there's nothing against DJ Khaled, right? But when he when he was like, yeah, I got my board ape, you know, half a million, I'm gonna put in a song. I'm like, yeah, you know, a few of us paid a thousand dollars for that board ape, just so you're aware. Like, yeah. I, I didn't get a board ape. I'm just saying that, but like I, a couple of my buddies did. Like, and I was like, you realize yeah. like, it's not like a Rolex that you bought that was already half a million and you bought it for what it was worth. You bought the hype and now you're marketing the hype to the rest of the culture. I hope that culture is not looking at that and saying like, oh, I gotta get one now for half a million. Like, or... If you weren't hanging out with where it's popular, but you were hanging out with where it's innovative and creative and unique and different, you'd be an early adopter and be in on cool things before it ever even gets to that place. And then you see so many people try to play for this level. And it's like, they're all fighting each other amongst, you know, um, who's like, who's got more clout. And I'm yeah. like, well, I'd rather be of more of service. Like you all can go hang out over there. And then I also had to learn, I think, a little bit of the hard way. You know, I once said that, like, be careful what circles you're trying to fight it, you know, your way into, right? Yeah. And I had found that I was lucky that I ended up being lucky that I didn't get into a couple of different circles and made my own instead for a lot of reasons, because it's not until you get information revealed later on that you're like, oof man, was I protected? Like, thank God I didn't Dude. get in there. And thank God it wasn't a part of that. And, you know, makes you even more grateful. That is such a, like a clutch lesson. And that clutch, uh, that's an important word It's clutch lesson, because oftentimes the places and people that you avoid that you're thankful for, they're usually narrow avoidances, like you narrowly mm. avoided uh, going into that. So I'm always grateful when I look back and, you know, I was talking with somebody this morning, we're going into some philosophy material here, but it's like, nice. and I love it. the things that happen to you are actually happening for you. And if you can, if you can maintain the proper optics on the situation and people get caught where they don't maintain their optics, they're not diligent with the way they view the situation. And so they view themselves as getting penalized rather than protected. Two P words, drastically different. As you're talking, I'm coming up with some examples in my life, even recently, where it's like, oof, I narrowly avoided a partnership or I narrowly yeah. avoided a circle. And thank God I did because it was narrow. It was close. It's all about your optics and deploying gratitude for those situations. I'm so glad you said that. 
Yeah, well, whenever you get into philosophy and like Stoicism, and it's interesting watching the the Stoic movement, the more modern one online. I'm like, yeah, but don't forget about understanding your emotions, right? Which you're yeah. clearly, you know, the optics, right? It's like, um, no, I can deploy Stoicism. I can integrate a- after re- having a, a better understanding of my own emotions and fortifying myself and, and loving my decisions and, and loving how I move, how I make my moves, you know, and not necessarily. Yeah. So the other the other thing that really helped me was learning the hard way was I. <laughs> naively thought that um, everybody else was giving the same way I I was, or I was expecting them to, which is on, that's on me. That's my fault. Yeah. Um, or expecting them to behave in a certain capacity. Nobody is going to prioritize you over them for the most part. And so in a, in a healthy way, in a positive way, meaning like, you know, that's why like when people are like, Oh, you know, this person, this, this business partner went this way, or the government's going to save it's like, look, at the end of the day, if, push comes to shove and they have to save themselves or their family or anything. Like you're probably not first. You're probably now second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, all the way down. I'm like, you have to fortify yourself. You have to become very self-reliant. And so that way in any given situation, you can actually deploy grace because it's like, Hey, when something happens, like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I flaked out. Like, Oh, it's all good. Like, Oh, you're not mad. Like, not at all. Like why? Like, well, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of prepared. What do you mean you're prepared? You thought I was going to flake out. I'm like, no, I just was prepared if you did. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so people, you know, and it's funny because it can it can almost trigger them in a way, and they're like, "There's nothing against you." I'm like, "It happens. Humans will be humans. Will be humans." I say this all the time in my community. I'm like, "Guys, like, humans can make decisions at any given point in time that don't prioritize what you want as an expectation or an outcome." Period. End of story. Hard stop. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. Have you met um, Hormozy? No. You guys should. Uh, you should have him on your podcast. Do you know who that is? Yeah. So, obviously, I mean, he just walks around jacked as hell. He's like a big, giant, burly man. But he's, when you said stoicism, the first person I think of, you know, is obviously Ryan Holiday. And then the second person I think of is, is Alex. And he posted this thing on Twitter and it's so good. I'm going to read it to you. And it's kind of like, it's kind of depressing, but stoicism has this natural, like, relieving of the pressure, you know? And he says, I think. Having people tell themselves that they matter and they are important is why people become sad. All experiences that contradict those arbitrary expectations create pain. Here's the kick at the end. They feel slighted by a universe that is unaffected by their existence. There's where the stoicism is. And it's like, okay, well, that's a li- okay. It's a little too far stoicism. Like it's they don't matter, they're not important. It's like, no, no, no. People do matter. They are important. But that last piece of like, how many times do we get so bothered and triggered because we take everything personal and we don't realize in the grand scheme of things that this is not going to matter. It's not going to matter in three months. It's not going to matter in three years. It sure as hell is not going to matter in 30 years. If we can maintain that perspective, like you're saying, it makes everything in life so much easier to deal with. You know what I'm saying? I do. The moment I stopped taking any uh, everything personally changed my whole life. And it took yes. me... It took me quite a few years for that if I was being very accountable and honest. It wasn't until probably maybe about four years ago I started really working heavily on that. And, and again, self-development, personal growth. Um, I basically started hearing conversations differently. If we rely, if we become self-reliant and fortify ourselves and understand our emotions and work on who we are and work on the health, work on the finances, work on the, you know, the stability, our own stability, work on our, our mental stability, work, just do the work, we're less likely to be affected by how anything might come at us that would formally trigger us, right? Previously trigger us. And so like now it changed and even in business because somebody would say something, I'd be like, what's going on in your world that you thought you could talk to me that way? 
let's reel it back real quick. Like what's happening with you? Like, and how can we support you? What's going on? You know, it's like, because if they're yelling, I was like, I said on online the other day, like happy people don't attack. So if there's yeah. something going on, like there, you're triggered and then you're wanting to trigger me and that's not going to help and I'm not going to allow it. <laughs> so totally. Practice. Bro, where do you, uh, where do you want to land this plane? I'm just going to give you the reins. Anything you want to tell people, push people questions I should have asked that didn't. Uh, let's see. Well, uh, if everybody listening, uh, hustle sold separately is the podcast. Taylor needs to come on. I know we had to reschedule. That was Gabe. Gabe's fault. Obviously right. not mine. Okay. So, Duh. so. <laughs> well, I, and I also know, I know your schedule too. Whew. So hustle sold separately, Apple, Spotify, all the, you know, usual platforms until we eventually get that into the <laughs> web three range, but it's like on like 30 platforms and stuff like that. And then uh, mattgottesman.substack.com is where um, Permissionless uh, lives in terms of like, you know, started kind of as a, as a letter to talk about you know, everything from philosophy to crypto and Web3 and everything in between. It's a very yep. <laughs> mishmash of stuff. But it's awesome. It's Thank awesome. You. So, Thank and you. The, and the, the way that you put words together is potent and it's profound and very effective. You can always tell what you're trying to communicate. So people should, we'll put that in the show notes too, so people can subscribe. Thank you. And by the way, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I, for anybody listening, also uh, practice. It was a, it's a lot of practice to how do we distill big ideas and big thoughts into very you know, simple ways of communicating and um, where we can all benefit from it. And as a quick you know, side, when I was doing work, digital consulting for Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, um, Krug Champagne in New York, Carl Helene was like the greatest director. You know, he hired me as a, co- as a contractor. And we were talking and he's like, Matt, I love all of this stuff that you're talking about. All, he was the king of one-liners, by the way. He's like, I love all this stuff we are talking about. I was like, yeah. and he goes, none of us have an effing clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> okay, okay. And, and he said it so gracefully. He's like, when you go in that room and you talk to like the owners and the board and all that other stuff, just tell us like what happens from doing this stuff. Just simplify it for us. Make us feel like, you know, less like an idiot, <laughs> you know, for not knowing tech and digital and internet and this and that. I was like, it was just, it was so brilliant that it stuck with me for a year. And he did, he, there was a lot of lessons I got from that. And maybe that's safe for another podcast, but it was like from, from interacting with him so much, because everything was about simplicity. Like, how do you get to the point while making sure everybody's needs are taken care of, basically, right? Yeah. And I love that idea. So how do we simplify complexity? And just like Jack Butcher, what he did with Visualize Value, I love it. I love it. What he's doing with his NFTs, I'm like, oh my God. I was like, these NFTs, like they're going for like four, five, 20 ETH. You got to be kidding me. So yeah, you can you see me over there on, on, on the Substack uh, at Matt Gottesman on Instagram. You know, I, I definitely interact with a lot of people there and drive them traffic. The Discord is called Permissionless. It, you know, uh, Gabrielle has asked me about it. It's it's coming. It's it's opening up. Um, but if anybody goes to my uh, Linktree bio and Instagram, automatically the top thing is like it just puts you on a list to my Google Sheets, and uh, you know, about four or five hundred people waiting to get in there. And so the Discord's opening up. So yeah, and then as soon as I have that link, I'll I'll throw you guys that link as well too for Discord, and you know. Send it on. Send it on so I can share it with with the masses. Dude, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for hopping on here. We'll get synced up and I can't wait to hang soon. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And also, uh, I'm I'm keen to do the the business breakdown show if you want. Taking businesses and uh, Yes. You know. <laughs> we'll get it in the books. We'll get it in the books. Yeah. We'll just tear cool. them apart. It'll be amazing. Cool. All right, man. See ya.